Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Tim Culp, Chief Innovation Officer at Mind Over Machines, on the topic of the future of work and specifically the future of hybrid work. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Tim Colt, the Chief Innovation Officer at Mind Over Machines and a member of the Forbes Tech Council. He's also a frequent writer and presenter on how AI is changing the workforce and the world. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for having me, Christian. So I'm I'm excited to get into this, this topic because it really is the meat and potatoes of the Collab Talk podcast. Uh, we're focusing today on the future of hybrid work and what exactly that means. Because I, I think there's a, it's easy to get in there and jump into a conversation and be like, well, wait a second, what are we actually talking about here? Mm-hmm. When you talk about hybrid work and there's different aspects of that. But I'd like to maybe frame this for everybody. So in a recent CMS Wire article, you kicked off the topic by saying, this is just from the beginning of your article, Hybrid work is not about embracing new technology and leaving the physical office behind. It's about how to use connected technology to build a connected and capable workforce in different spaces to achieve your goals. The hybrid workplace isn't just the future of offices, it's the future of collaboration itself. Yes, yes. There should so, be like, like sci-fi music, there, a soundtrack behind that, you know? Yeah, you know, it comes down to when we think about hybrid work. And uh, this article actually spawned from a conversation I was having at a holiday party with an interior designer. And uh, it was it was a great conversation and something sparked the hybrid office uh, topic. And she was like, you can't have a hybrid office and, and was, you know, getting passionate about this and, and going through is like hybrid is not, it's not a space, a space isn't hybrid. And, and it made me really kind of reflect on like, huh, like, what do, what do I think about that? And how does that compute with me? And as I was reflecting on a lot of the talk of a smart office, a lot of talk about remote work and in office, and why do we want to come back to the office? You know, and I air quote on that, everybody does. Um, well, it's to achieve this work, right? It, it's not the space, like the space enables the work. And so when we reflect on, well, what is the space really enabling? It's enabling the collaboration. It's enabling the culture to grow. It's I'm not- I'm surprised that you have a designer that ha- takes that, that attitude because that's, there's a trend going on right now uh, uh, around the, you know, having space that is rather than like, I worked for a number of years at Microsoft, other big companies that had like your dedicated office, you close the door, you could work alone. And more and more was this idea of the open office plan where the people worked better when they had not just like the dedicated space. It's less and less about the dedicated space and more about places where people can come together in mm-hmm. different, different formats. And, and so you see this, you know, in the redesign where you have, and I I go back to, I worked for Pacific Bell in the nineties and they were pioneering what they were calling hoteling space. And so people that were commuting in didn't need to have a dedicated, they just needed a place to touch down, get work done as they go to other meetings and then they go work remotely somewhere else within the state of California, you know, for the rest of the week, they're there for a day, maybe two days. And, and so they just needed meeting space, a little, not even a cubicle, just a, you know, a, you know shoulder width, you know, a, a space, a, you know, table space where they could plug in, leave some stuff as they're, you know, participating in meetings. So much about like, I, I look at that as the, the, like the nineties equivalent to what we're talking about now is not just the physical space but looking at all of the technologies that we're utilizing that allow people to drop in as needed, plug in for as long as they're, they're needed, and then right. unplug and, and work elsewhere. 
Yeah, and this is an area where, um, you know, mind over machines, uh, I feel like we've been very ahead of the curve from a space perspective. Um, a few years ago, we redesigned our office to be thinking about collaborations, like, and so that this is the space for large collaborations. This is the space for small team size collaborations. Um, and what we created was a very spaced out office, uh, which happens to be very great for social distancing. Uh, but the idea of having, uh, well, what about that digital element? We know people are going to be all over the world that we're collaborating with. So how do we make sure they feel that they're engaged, they're part of the room? Um, that's what's referred to as presence equity. You know, that when people are engaged, there's not a, the remote people and the in-person people, and they're not the same. Like we're gonna keep having conversations once the remote people hang up, or we're gonna push mute and have conversations while the remote people are talking. That's a terrible collaboration model. And if you think about a distributed workforce, that concept of presence equity to keep everybody on the same page, everybody pushing the ball down to the same area, that's critical. That is going to be a differentiator to who succeeds and who doesn't in the future. That is that you just nailed like the problem that I had. Like, so somebody who has been working remotely for the last 12 years, mm -hmm. so working from my home, the home office, uh, where my country, my, my company is across the country. Uh, and the problem that I found is not that we don't have tools, it's getting people to use the tools and remember that there are people that are not sitting in the conference room with them on the other coast. There are other people that are relevant that are primary stakeholders and yet the, the business practices don't encourage people to remember those people that aren't in the room with them. So mm -hmm. there's like a fundamental, what is that gap? Maybe you can you know, shed some light on this. What is the gap in the modern organization when it comes to, you know, the hybrid workplace? Like I've, mm -hmm. I just talked about that, you know, people forgetting people outside, but what do you see when you work with, with organizations? Yeah, so um, it, it really comes down, so liberal arts background. Uh, so of course I'm looking all over the place for like, well, why, why is this? And, you know, to the, uh, you know, annoyance of my professors in uh, undergrad to all the way up to partners I work with now, why is it that way? Um, it, it really comes back to think about how we have been socialized. And when we think about school and work relationships, we're in a classroom. And the classroom is when we're doing activities. And then we go home and we are isolate, right? We have homework. That is the, that's, you do that on your own. Um, and so we have this experience. We have people who have been in business for many, many, many years. And it's, you go into the office, you do the work in the office. Like that is where work happens. That's where collaboration happens. As I was working with companies uh, to do process re-engineering and, and really optimize the assets they had during the pandemic to maximize like the value they were getting out of it, one of the key questions that kept coming up is, you know, where does your team perform the best? Like where do where does your team perform, you know, the most optimally? And some teams were like, we want to be in the office. What I was seeing was there's all the baggage of our history learning that work is done in a physical space, which school is, has built into us. And then there's just the old school mentality of, well, this is just how it's always been. But then you look at teams like IT teams who pivoted, many that I had talked to pivoted very seamlessly to fully remote. Uh, they didn't hit a lot of bumps because they already had an element of, yeah, our contractors are remote, our offshore teams are remote. We're used to working remote. So that mental uh, gap of getting to in-office to remote was a big jump for a lot of people outside of, of IT and technology companies. Now going to hybrid is even a bigger jump because it's, well, when do I go into the office? And so a critical element of success is having the hybrid work policies. What's remote? What's hybrid? What are the expectations? And how do you use the tools that you have? Like, what is the etiquette on Microsoft Teams when you can't connect to a call because your internet just dropped? You know, that, that, that's a, uh, there, there are very few companies that I've run into that have, because I think that's a key point where the, the organization is actually a written policy on, you know, etiquette for hybrid work. 
Mm -hmm. They've thought about it. They said, here's our mix of tools. Here's the type of work that it best performs under this. This is when we do need to be together. And they've kind of you know outlined that and shared that with the organization. You know, people, I just people like to have you know guardrails, guidance around mm -hmm. these things. Like, tell me what is acceptable. Provide us the template for that, and we'll work within that that structure. And the organizations that at least attempt to do that. Not that you don't refine it. You should have a change management process in place mm -hmm. and have a discussion that's ongoing to evolve and change, but seem to do much better with this remote distant work than those that don't go through that process. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like any other uh, experience. If you're going into um, a new situation, one of the first things that people do, any new situation, you start looking around at everybody else. What is everybody else doing? Like, wh wh what are the social norms that I need to be aware of? In a company, we talk about culture, right? And culture, you know, eat strategy for breakfast and all that good stuff. We very much know that if your leadership is not demonstrating your culture, you're not going to have a strong culture. Same with hybrid work. If your leadership is not demonstrating a clear understanding of the rules and helping people find their way and being good models of this, you have big problems. This same thing goes for automation, implementing AI and automation, and you brought up earlier, if the leadership, what their mentality and their attitude towards it is going to be the organization's mentality and attitude towards it. So if it's looked at as an enabling technology, it's looked at as, you know, this is the benefits that it's bringing to the workforce and the workers, then it's going to have benefits. Same with hybrid work. If you're demonstrating the behaviors, if you're showing this is what you need to be doing and how you need to be working together, people will get it much easier. You don't always need to have a, this is the written policy list. It is good to have, um, especially from a HR perspective, but demonstrating those behaviors, critical. So that's like a project management 101 is getting mm -hmm. your leadership on board. Yes. Uh, so what you just described is it's not any different from from that. It's it, you know if you have I always use a, I think it was a great example when um, so Microsoft acquired Yammer and mm -hmm. at the first big conference when after the acquisition uh, they had like the the Yammer executive team was at this conference was in the keynote and they had it was nationwide ex insurance that was up there and they shared an experience of rolling out and again the technology is irrelevant to it the underlying technology but they had this social-based collaboration technology and they and they use as an example that there was a, a woman working in the support team who was relatively new to the organization and she identified a fairly big customer issue and was looking for feedback on it and it sat out there she posted it and days went by the like I think like four days went by the CEO saw was going through looking at questions and specifically was looking at unanswered questions from uh, team members saw this responded to it and said something to the effect like I'm surprised nobody else has jumped on this and here's what we should this is what I would do in that case suddenly people piled on mm -hmm. started respond to that and there's a couple of things that you can read from that. You know, like one, it shouldn't have to take the CEO responding for others to, to go in there and respond. That's yeah, one. Two, that there need to be people that, this is more my opinion, but are like that customer success component. There should mm -hmm. be people whose job, like a collaboration manager, that are constantly in there whether it's IT, whether it's somebody in a business function that's constantly reviewing and encouraging people. Hey, are you aware that's going on? Um, I look at this and we'll get into the discussion of automation, but like uh, conversations that are happening via email and there's a way of, of saying like, hey folks, that conversation would be much better suited over in a more transparent and open mm -hmm. to everybody else if it were over within the collaboration platform. And so you're helping seed, you know, a lot of that. So, you know, one, it shouldn't just be the CEO. We should, like, something's broken there. We need to yeah. fix that in the culture. Two, we need to have somebody helping, you know, drive this. 
and then three, there's the actual the, the actual technical issues around that. And how do we better flag and, you know, the, the tools themselves to better support this scenario so it doesn't run for four days. I think you could automate something like this, like you do with any kind of support ticketing system. Yep. If somebody, if a customer enters a ticket, generally a support organization is measured on, it's the, the popular metric is mean time to resolution, MTTR. And they're their bonus is based on that. Their pay mm -hmm. is based on how quickly they go and answer, how long tickets have been sitting in the queue waiting to be responded. Like, why would we not have something like that internally right. for, for feedback? Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I know and, a lot there, but. yeah I mean, you, you bring up uh, very good points here. So one, right now is a fascinating time, uh, depending on where you are in your career. Right, uh, it's a fascinating time in in general uh, with lots of change in the workforce going on. Um, if you're looking to uh, you know carve your path as a new manager, you this is the time um, because like what you just described, you know, being that advocate, um, you know, it doesn't have. I, I think a lot of times people think that's somebody else's job, you know, and forget like dude, these jobs don't exist. Like you can do it now. Like just take it on and say, okay, we're going to run with this. I'm going to make sure that I connect the right people on my team to the network in the company to be able to get this communication flowing. I'm going to help my team understand what should be a chat in Teams or in Slack and what should be an email. You know, I'm going to help my team use the bullhorn of a Yammer type system to tell the company about the successes happening in my team. These are the things that are going to really help people stand out in their career. Um, and it's, it, it really is interesting because a lot of this doesn't have rules right now. And so it is people can grab and, and make their own with the asterisk at the end of that of there's not a lot of rules right now. So be careful what, you know, as an organization, are you monitoring? Do you have the proper governance in place that you're not just spinning up teams, 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 you know, because that will become an administrative nightmare eventually. Um, you know, what are people, uh, if you have meetings in virtual reality, we in Mind Over Machines, we have meetings in virtual reality. Do you have uh, the, the proper safety set up so that you're not invading people's personal space in virtual reality, which is really easy to do. Like I if worry about, I watch a lot of you know, the videos on YouTube. It's the people that uh, find themselves reacting to something and crashing into a wall or something <laughs> in their equipment. Yeah, like that kind of uh, proper safety protocols around yes. the VR worlds. But, <laughs> but also within the VR world of, you know, we, we have norms that we just, we don't even talk about we just understand keep distance from a, another human you know <laughs> don't be all into their face but when you're in a virtual space those like people just start forgetting these things and so being mindful of you know the the rules that we have out in space don't be right up on somebody to talk to them like give space be polite uh and remember that translates into the virtual world as well so that's I, I it goes back to that point i mean one you you, you kind of touched on briefly like you're the governance around how we're managing the creation of these things that's why it's i mean it's good whether it's uh you know creating teams or slack channels or or new uh, uh distribution lists or you know in, in email whatever it is that organizationally have some kind of a provisioning process you could discuss that yeah. because one thing i i've noticed is that companies are generally bad at the discovery process. Like what do we already have built? Do we understand fully what we already have? And are we fully utilizing those no matter what the medium is, the technology is right. You know, what is the discovery process of those existing assets before we go and create new? So that's why having that some kind of governance process in the front end to kind of monitor and manage that. That's an important aspect of this as well. Because right. I, 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 this goes back to, again, my beginnings in you know, 30 years ago in technology is understanding that a big part of that onboarding, the training process for people is that it doesn't, you don't go through a week of training of onboarding somebody and be like, all right, they can now have a perfect knowledge of our system and our capabilities right. and our tools. 
No, it's an ongoing process that is just, it, it, there's, there's not an end. You have to refresh people on yeah. those things. That's why I, like, I was a huge advocate for different companies that I worked for of like the Friday brown bag lunch where people are sharing, here's what I went and built. Using tools, using things that you know I've used every day of my career and I'd yeah. still see things be like, I didn't know you could do that with Excel. Oh my right. gosh. I've never thought of that scenario of using OneNote or Evernote with my cloud storage and you know, like whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so it's great to have that kind of collaborative interaction. Yeah. It also is a great way that you can identify, like, I see what you're doing there. Hey, I think that's an opportunity for automation. Yeah, absolutely. And this is uh, one of the big paradigm shifts that we've seen with uh, COVID-19 is uh, Mind Over Machines, we years ago have been just implementing, implement dynamics, implement Salesforce, you know, the CRM setups, help us implement Power Apps, help us implement a data warehouse, help us add this new thing, you know, the, the app sprawl, add, add, add. What we've seen in the past two years is, help me figure out how I'm doing business, uh, so we do a lot with process engineering. We do a lot with thinking about what can be automated, what should be automated, what shouldn't be automated, and help me leverage the systems I already have to create the change. And so a great example of this is Dynamics um, and that we've seen uh, as we've talked to clients, there's a lot of implementations that we've encountered that this was a paper form that you know the team used to fill out. We put it in Dynamics and, and now we've got it. It's automated and it's like, but it's just the paper form still. You know, the, this is helping people think through how do you get the most out of your investment? That's where we're spending most of our time right now is, is really helping people think through how do you get the most out of what you've already implemented to make real business impact and measure what you're doing. That's so. like a foot that that is you just described what is the primary disconnect when people talk about business transformation. Mm. People think that it's just taking the new technology, deploying it, that whatever the latest, greatest is. Like, no, you can have a business transformation on older technology. It's about how are we actually actually leveraging those things? And you just, that's a great example. It's not just about moving that paper form into a digital format. It's re-looking at that entire process. Half of that form you should never fill out manually. It should automatically come from the information architecture based on where I am in the system, what my role is. The system should know me, so I'd never have to fill out my name because I'm already logged in. It'll just attach my name to it. Mm -hmm. It knows that I'm over in the customer profile, so it automatically pulls in all of that information. And so it's rethinking and optimizing for who I am my role within the system, who I'm working with, what I, what it is that I'm doing and looking again at that end-to-end -end process so that maybe I only need to enter in four or five things digitally instead of 30 things on a paper form. And so it greatly streamlines that. So it's transformation in my mind is just a rethinking of which might not use a lot of those new tools and technologies that might be overkill or we might even that process may look at and say we can fully automate this to where there's no form it's pushing a button and it does it yeah and and this is where um one of the things that uh, i love about us as a company is that we have two-prong approach to achieve exactly what you're describing here uh we have what we call adoption coaching because all the technology in the world is wonderful but if nobody uses it you get no value from it so that CRM form, if everybody hates the CRM and is like, I'm not using this thing or I'm gonna just grumble as I go all the way through, you're not realizing your ROI. You're not realizing the investment in your transformation. So really focusing on um, adoption. And when people say, well, it's change management. It's like, mm, it, yeah, I mean, from a project management standpoint, we could use those words. But when you're talking to the person doing the work, the claims processor in a healthcare system, or you're talking to the, you know, the ticket receiver or the case manager that you're working with, and you're talking about change management processes, and they're like, 
okay, so I, we're just changing, I get it. Adoption is not only do you use it, you want to use it. Like it's not just that it's there and you have to. So that's a key element uh, we see in successful digital transformation focused on adoption, not just change. The other piece we see uh, is a framework that we've built called Workforce Ascension. Um, and so Workforce Ascension and Enhancement, we call it WAY, uh, is all about what should a computer do and what should a human do to get the maximum value in a process and, and thus maximum value in your business. Because what with automation, things are changing so quickly and what you can automate today is literally different than what you could automate tomorrow. And that's not exaggeration. Like you're, there's going to be a new image recognition system. There's gonna be new computer vision capabilities, new text analytics capabilities. So thinking about what should the system do? What should the technology do? And what is the human doing that adds value to what that system is doing? and really hone in and focus and grow that human value, that's a huge differentiator. In, in the, when we talk about hybrid office, the humans are what create the value. They are the people who actually make the environment and the culture, not the technology. So how are you empowering your humans? That's what Wei tries to answer and works with companies to flesh out. These are critical questions when you talk about automation and the future of work. I also like how you use that language of, you know, of communicating with your humans. Now that really is breaking us into, you know, the, those, the futurist of the sci-fi uh, language, which I love that, you know? Um, so let's, we'll, we'll talk about the human, you know, uh, the humans that are involved here. Um, no, but something that just kind of stood out to me, you know, when a lot of the talk in the early two thousands around uh, it really properly started talking about, we started to see practical application of AI components within modern work and, and automating a lot of these kind of work, common uh, productivity tools and solutions. Uh, there were a lot of concerns of people saying, well, hey, the IT pro, like that, that class of employee is like, it's going away. And I I was one of those that would say, it's like, no, it's not going away. Part of how it's being modified though, is like that business analyst component of that role. We need more business analysts, people that understand what the business is actually trying to accomplish, but then also understands they don't have to be an engineer. They don't right. have to be out there coding, building, you know, architecting solutions, but understand enough about the the, the technology, the tools that are out there with that solid business understanding and helping translate in between the, uh, those two. So to be able to, to know that, how do we, here's what we're trying to accomplish. Yes, I understand what this new service provides, what this new capability is, this new technology that everybody's talking about. Here's how it might actually apply to what it is that we're doing as a business and why that's fundamental Mm -hmm. I'll let you talk about this, but it, you know, it's kind of like my question is around this is like how much automation is too much automation? Because I've seen examples, I, I'm sure you've seen many examples of this as well, where people are so enamored by the new, but are they jumping the shark when it comes mm -hmm. to what their business actually needs and what right. they focus on? Because like I, so I come from in the SharePoint world where I used to go and present on various topics around SharePoint. And I would ask the question to a room full of people, like, what is your goal with SharePoint? And people would say, well, to collaborate more. I said, yes, that's correct. And at the same time, that's completely meaningless. Right. Like, what are you actually, what are you trying to do? It's like, well, we're trying to, to you know, get better at storing files. I'm like, that's your goal is to store files better. Uh, like, no, what are you actually trying to do for your business? So trying to get people to think about what are the actual use cases, the scenarios which we're trying to support, which are all business focused, not technology focused. Right. And then you go into the discussion of whether the tools will even help you do that better because sometimes the answer might be no. It, it, right. You know, no, it's the way that we're doing it now is as optimized, it would actually take us longer, cost us more to, to utilize the technology in this way. So 
how much automation is too too much automation? Yeah, so um, it really comes down to if we ask the question, what's the value your humans bring to this process? And the answer is, I don't know, you got a problem. Like, and the problem is anyone else can automate what you're doing. That is the, the big challenge for business right now is to really focus on what is your core competency for real? Like, and you know, we've worked with companies, um, discussing with companies and they say that their core competency is, you know, um, shipping you know, products from a warehouse. And we're like, okay, so why would client X work with you versus company A over here? Does the same thing, says they do the same thing. Well, we are hyper-customized in our customer service. Ah, now we're on to what your core competency is. You're hyper-customized in your services around this. So how do you do that? Where does technology enable that? And where are your humans accelerating and actually delivering on that? Because if technology can just do everything, then why work with you and not somebody else? So helping people start thinking about technology as an enabler to their humans is critical. So when the technology has taken the human element out of your business, you have jumped the shark, you have gone too far. And so in this example, uh, you know, managing the warehouse and, and getting um, boxes from point A to point B to point C, um, could you have all that automated? Yes, that, you know, we see companies who do that. Is it cost-effective for this particular company? Maybe not. And so thinking about what's my human element that brings value to my business and thinking about what's the ROI on this. And that's where people do, like you were just saying, they get enamored with, oh, we could automate this and we could automate that. But fundamentally, what's the business challenge that you're trying to solve? Um, because it's not, we want to reduce, uh, you know, the, the amount of claims processed by a human. That's not what you're really trying to do. What you're trying to do is increase speed to revenue, or you're trying to um, make sure that you have a higher quality of X, whatever it is. So keeping focused on human value, keeping focus on return on the investment, because sometimes automation is just not worth it. Like it's cheaper for human to do it. Uh, case in point, uh, in the Tesla factory, uh, one of the challenges that Elon Musk had cited years ago was over automation. And that, you know, his famous tweet about, you know, humans are underrated. Keep that in mind for all business. Like anything, I mean, you need to have, you know, measurements in place around those things. And to your point, there's a lot of things that you could do. It's like, there's, there's no reason we have a human being going and doing these things, which could be, you know, we, we automate these individual processes, but to, to give up all decision-making to machines around that, like, so you decide at what points where you need to have people yes. have that, you know, that, that are, have oversight. I mean, great, great examples. I worked in, in the supply chain world and building out uh, demand planning systems for collaboration for high-tech companies. Mm -hmm. And you would never, these companies would never think of removing humans from the decision-making process. You, you have each of the lines of once a decision is made, automation to go and do, uh, you know, each of those things. There's always a human oversight of those things. Yes, critical. Because machines break. And no matter how yes. good your code is, there are things that happened and glitches that happened. Because like we, we would find, again, I'll go back and use probably a bad example, but like uh, you know, SharePoint to SharePoint migration. And you can have all the data, all the right, all the scripts in place to do a migration to move it from A to B. And all we're doing is we're changing hardware, but everything is the same. Everything is the same in both environments, move it over. But if something is amiss in the data, something data, if it doesn't align right, like that migration would break. Same right. will happen there. There's, you know, there are anomalies in data. There's no data that's perfectly clean. It just, it doesn't happen. There are, there'll be errors that happen. And being able to go in and and have that oversight and the human interaction—that's again yeah. probably not a great example well, uh, of that. But I, I will use a, an example that we've encountered. Um, so human oversight is so critical. And where again, where where are we with this artificial intelligence thing, this technology? 
Well, you can design your processes to be AI enabled and AI empowered. And so when you're designing your processes, thinking about when does a human need to get involved to add value? And that get involved is, you know, just like you wouldn't start somebody who's brand new and say, oh, you're on your own, go do this process. You would have oversight. So your AI systems, you know, think about when you can uh, put a human in the middle to do that quality check. And so that there's an auto, maybe there's an automated process that goes all the way from step A to K, and then the human gets involved to go check the work before it continues on. Real world application of this, uh, we were working with a healthcare client who was um, using uh, computer vision to scan uh, basically screenshots of a um, EHR system and reading the content. But because of the, the nature of this process, it could not be wrong. Like there could not be a 98% confidence or 99% confidence. It had to be accurate every single time. And so there was a human who would check. Here's what the computer thought it saw. Yep, that's correct. And just hit next and move along in the process. That is okay. That is not like some kind of failing of the automation capability or system because all the 95% of the process that could be automated is now automated and not doesn't have to be done by a human. The 5% where the human adds value, that's critical and that's super important and useful. So thinking in those terms, also thinking in your automated processes should be telling you what's going on. So there should never be, it just magically runs in the background. Like you don't know what's happening and this is your business. Like, so as it's magically running in the background, what's it doing? How many records is it working with? What records are it working with? Because if you have to audit and go back, you don't wanna to have to search and try to figure out what's going on. You want the system to tell you, this is what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Be very transparent. That Those AI systems have to be transparent uh, for them to be useful. Well, and that's, uh, you know, getting back into kind of the, the you know, I, I know this where we've been talking about the modern workplace and different scenarios there and how it gets back into like the common, you know, business office and, and what does this all mean for, you know, automating a lot of those different tasks. It's like, well, I mean, some of the examples that we were getting into more of like the manufacturing that like that side of it, that technology, but you could think of like forms intake, um, mm -hmm. you know, new customers, um, new patients. So like case management, all areas where you can automate if any processing of, of forms, of claims, any interaction with state or federal systems, I mean, all these, there's, there's so many different ways that, that, you know, a modern organization can go in there and automate the, these activities. I mean, I, we, we, you mentioned kind of at the beginning, like power platform and the creation of power apps and power automate and virtual agents and all this around even small automations within the enterprise so yeah. that, um, you know, all I need to do is I might have the meeting and every time that I, you know, at the close of a meeting, an automation might be that it automatically goes and saves the, the recorded meeting to another location, attaches any of the notes, records who participated in that meeting so that we have a record. Like, you know, in, in industries that are highly regulated may need to have a record of every meeting right. that was captured. And so goes and puts certain notes and timestamps in place in, in place. That might not be relevant for the majority of organizations, but those that are in those, reg, you know, those, those industries, building that kind of customized automated experience is critical. Legally, they yeah. may be required to build that. So yeah. every, every company, every industry has those nuanced you know, experiences right. that, that are opportunities to go and automate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when businesses think about themselves, there's a lot of times um, people really focus on what makes them unique. Um, and that's great. That is super great. You know, we are the best uh, mind over machines. We do a lot of work with healthcare and manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have uh, in healthcare, we talk to clients who are, we are hyper-focused on the patient and we have excellent patient, you know, uh, review scores and yada, yada, yada. It's, it's excellent. Um, super proud to work with these organizations. There, uh, the key when we think about that though is what matters 
isn't always going big. In fact, in automation, we always tell people, go small. And don't just focus on your vertical, focus on your horizontals. Every company has employee onboarding, every company. So what's the process? And how much of that is you know, going to be um, filling out paperwork and copy and pasting it to this system, you know, the payroll system, the 401k system, the, the whatever system, you know, the IT system, like, oh, we jumped from HR to IT and here we go, we got to do this. And how much of that process can just be the HR person fills out a form and maybe doesn't even need to do that because it all came from the resume, you know, application and the, the candidate tracking system. And it flows through all your systems. And what the HR person focuses on is this is our culture. Here's how we operate. Here are those social norms that are important here, you know, um, focusing on questions like, you know, what's the, the thing you should never do here and the thing you should always do here. Having those conversations versus, hold on, I got to fill out this form real quick and send it to this person to, to work out. Um, the other uh, aspect that, you know, kind of hitting this is small, small, small. That is really critical. A lot of times people think big for big impact. And we're going to go with the most difficult process we have because that's going to have the most impact. But if you can trigger like 10 small processes to be automated and just going along and amplified by the human, it is a snowball effect. It it starts to really measure up and up and up. And same, we say the same thing with power apps. You know, uh, there's a lot of small instances of power apps. That's highly useful. You don't have to re-engineer your whole ERP system to be a power app. You know, like you can just take one little thing, you know, and, uh, you know, whether it's field service check-ins or notes, or, you know, we have a meeting app that we use that is power apps based. So these small things make a big difference, uh, especially over time. And they allow you to pivot faster because you have to document what's the process. How does it work? You've nailed a, a, a critical aspect of this is that things are changing so fast. If all your focus is automating like company-wide, scalable, huge, enterprise-wide, you know, one, it's harder to make those kinds of changes. Um, Two, it's those kinds of broad systems then break smaller nuanced differences between locations, between business units, between styles or that, that, that culture that's within like that team-based thing. If if you have that, I mean, this, this is, you know, I think part of what keeps architects and solution architects and, and uh, CIOs in in business is because it, it, you know, you can't go and solve all problems at that enterprise wide area. Let then smaller, that citizen developer type mentality, create your policies, your guidelines. Here's how we're secure. Here's how we're compliant. Here's certain, you know, uh, uh, guardrails for development of solutions, but then let the individuals down at the ground level solve the problems that best fit their needs. So when the business requirements change, when the, you know, industry changes and those other requirements, you know, you've got the high level framework, but then at the lower level, let each of those business units then decide is like, you know, Hey, most of the automations that we did still relevant, or, Hey, we've got these little changes uh, to, to make new scripts to write new automations to go in there, new power apps to refine or build new solutions around that to get us back up to speed. That's a much easier process for a business to think about letting that local control happen over their employee experience and then focus how do we you know what are the standards that we have what are the requirements across you know the high level here's what we're trying to accomplish as a business but that automation should be empowering to the lower level absolutely if you're entering into um automation with a we can use this to cut workforce your mindset is not right um because the workforce you want to cut, they will know that. Like they, it will just, they'll feel it. They'll know it. They'll be on it. Going back to, we talked about the demonstrating behaviors from leadership. 
people just absorb it. They get it. They understand what's going on. So if somebody comes at automation from a cutting perspective, um, the challenges there are, is the process going to be communicated in full from the team who does it? Because it has to be from the team who does it. When, when management tries to communicate the process, inevitably something gets missed. Um, so having, we, we call it the question. The question is, when this is automated, what's the team going to do with that time? And you do not have to you know, really think hard when you're talking to the team members because they're like, oh, top of mind, I'm, I'm going to do this now. And, oh, that means I can focus over here. They've got the answers. Empowering them is critical. One, I do want to hit on citizen developer. Yeah. Um, because we think, and I think that is a huge paradigm shift that is going to be a very important thing for the future of business and the future of work is people really understanding and embracing this citizen developer mindset, as well as businesses creating the guardrails and that governance program. That is, if that is not on people's 2022 uh, strategy list, it needs to be um, because these tools are already starting to show up. You know, like, what do you need to get a HubSpot account built? Not much, you know, and does IT need to be involved? No. Do you have policies that say you can't do this? Most companies don't because that's the, the speed of business is that you have these software as a service platforms that people can just start using and they say it as, oh, it's just part of my department. So creating those guardrails, super critical, empowering your citizen developers, is going to transform how you do business because it enables standard design thinking stuff. It enables the people with the problem to discover the solution. So, yep, that powerful. is. Uh, so I agree. I'm a governance guy, and so mm -hmm. that's been. Uh, you know, it's funny. I go back and look at you know the different industries that I've worked in, the different companies over the last thirty years, and it all comes back to like that first governance body that I joined, I was working for EDS, EDS Medical in Sacramento, California, and joining that body where we had state of California employees that were in there. I was as a business analyst and tech writer was added to this board to go in there and to have these conversations of as requests are coming in, let's discuss them. Owners of each of the business areas would discuss potentials for impact around that. Anyway, that throughout my career, that's been consistent, that activity of a governance discussion that needs to happen, mm -hmm. where you have business owners, technology platform owners, and builders of those things, and management there to make a decision, looking at the feedback from each area and say, here's our path forward, let's move forward, let's iterate on this, we'll pilot some things, we'll move forward with the things that are there, then we'll look at the data and make a decision at that point. Uh, you know, and that kind of, you know, uh, uh, governance view, iterative development, looking at the data, what does it tell us, make a decision, move right. forward again. Uh, that is where, where we are. Uh, you, you can't be, you know, like the phrasing of that, like ID department can't be the department of no. You can't just say no to people. You have to have that conversation. You have to be able to talk and discuss it. Like, here's where that that group is stopped. Right. Here are the guardrails. Like you think you need to be aware that here's our security policies. Here's our government, our, our state and federal government compliance rules. Like we cannot break these things. The rest of how you do it within those guardrails, do whatever helps performance best within your, your space. Right. So get out of the way of people to go in there and solve those problems. Don't Absolutely. have to centralize all of those things. Right. And we're, we're seeing that as a trend um, with, and, and maybe we just, uh, maybe all of our clients are amazing, uh, but we have a lot of great clients that are very much taking that approach of the decentralization and empowering people. Um, and the, the key questions are, you know, where's the line? Like, when should we say, no, 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 you, you shouldn't be able to do this. And that's, that's a fuzzy question. It is very much based on organization. I will say our healthcare clients are hyper um, focused on creating those lines very solid, very tightly but it, for obvious and good reasons. But it's fine to have those lines of demarcation Absolutely. be like, here's what we cannot do. But it's, it's, uh, it's something that's like as a child, uh, you know, when my parents would say no, 
And I, my next question is why? And if there's right. because I said so, I was angry at that. But we said like, because there's a dog behind that fence. And if you climb over that fence, it will bite you as a child. Like, oh, I get that. You'll right. have a transparent discussion around that and say, and we just don't know. We would need to yes. pilot to move forward with that. We, this is something that is net new. There's not enough data. We have to be careful of this because of these rules and regulations, whatever it is, people right. are more inclined to support a process if they understand the process. If it's yes. a black box, people will rebel. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the, the other aspect of this is, is you know, helping people see constraints do create creativity. Like, and that is a very important thing not to lose sight of. Yes, we can't do this because of blah, 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 blah. So what can we do, okay. you know, and, and go from there. Trauma creates this best music out there. Uh, some of the best acting is done by people that have the most screwed up troubled lives. You know? <laughs> Uh, well, Tim, really appreciate this discussion. I know there's a, there's a lot we could go sideways down and talk about, uh, you know, different areas, but I really appreciate your time today. And, and again, great, great topic, the, the article out in CMS Wire. But Tim, people that want to find out more about you and your company, where do they find you? What are the best ways to reach you? So best way, uh, I'm a big LinkedIn nerd. I love LinkedIn. I want it probably too much. Um, so feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out Mind Over Machines at www.mindovermachines.com. Uh, we have all kinds of very fascinating things going on. We keep our blog there of all kinds of topics. And we have a um, uh, series coming up about the future of work and hybrid office and getting into topics, everything from smart office to virtual reality based offices and what you need to be mindful of. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. And again, you can find links to uh, Tim's profile, his company, everything out on buckleyplanet.com as well. The blog post will be live and I'll provide the links out on YouTube as well. So Tim, thanks a lot. Cool. Thank you for having me, Christian. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast.